Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, we are going to learn how to do things easier, better, and faster. Yes. With the Felipe Engineer Manriguez, who is a best-selling author, international keynote speaker, and podcast host of the EBFC show. The Felipe Manriguez, welcome. How's it going? <laughs> it's going great. How are you doing? I am doing well. I just went for a run instead of coffee. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I went for a swim, but I still had coffee after. <laughs> You're a swimmer, huh? Uh, I wouldn't call myself a swimmer. <laughs> More like wade into the pool and get chased around by my son. Nice. How old is he? He's almost 13. All right. So he might give you a run for your money. <laughs> it's actually beat me now. It's, it's happened. He's crossed the threshold. Oh my gosh. Does he remind you of you at all? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I told him that's why I have superpowers over him because I could recognize myself in him. Yeah, that's cute. How so? Yeah, so the way that he'll get this look on his face and it's the same look that I get when I'm confused or thinking or don't want to answer. <laughs> it's all the same. And so I'm like, I know what you're thinking and that's I'm still going to make you answer. I'll wait. <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's a great kid. So he must feel understood when you say things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're very close. Aw. Good, good daddy relationship, you could say. Oh, that's great. Do you think you learned that from your dad? Not right away. My dad and I had a good, we hung out a lot together when I was growing up, but it wasn't until I was older that I kind of came back around. We're like in our golden years of a relationship now, where we're closer than ever before. That's interesting. And I know that you told me that your dad is like a celebrity. Like when you were in yeah. Chicago, like everywhere you go, yep, you felt like people knew him, right? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So my dad got uh, heavily involved in a nonprofit soccer league, amateur soccer in the city of Chicago. And he helped to grow this organization. I don't remember the numbers anymore, but way more than 10 times the size of what it was when, it, when he first got involved. And it got so large. This is all before way before the pandemic. And he would do this like as a voluntary thing. He was not, wasn't paid for what he did. And it was like, you know, he'd work all day and then come home, shower, put a suit on, go downtown in Chicago and uh, be in meetings, organizing the league and getting things set up for tournaments, working with probably no exaggeration, more than a hundred different teams from youth soccer, women's soccer, men's amateur soccer. And then they even had amateur pro. Like, I can't remember the, what they called that track, but there was a, a group of teams that were like right before pro in the later years, they started feeding people into the MLS major league soccer. 
and they played in tournaments uh, internationally as well. I mean, this was all just like in Chicago, they would be invited to go play in California. Like many times they went to California and other States and they went to Mexico. And I, I think they even, it's a couple points might've gone to Europe. It was a pretty big deal. And so <laughs> when I was, when I was really young, my dad's like, you should play soccer. And he like put me in this team in our local town where I was. And now he liked soccer so much Rena that I didn't like it <laughs> because it was like, I saw it as a child. I saw it as something that competed with my dad's time for my attention and I couldn't win, <laughs> you know, it was all encompassing consuming, but we, you know, I went to hang out with him on the weekends and we'd go to these tournaments, like the epitome of what they worked on during the week and in all these planning times. And these things kind of just happened all over the city, like from the South side of Chicago, all the way to the North side, all the way to the border of Indiana. And then like way West, you know, like an hour, two hours away. I mean, the, the geography was huge. It was people that are familiar with the city of Chicago. It was probably easily, you know, Cook County and the surrounding adjacent counties was where all the places where the games were played. I think as far as like the, on the t- typical games would be happening, like in the Joliet area, which is not close to the city of Chicago. It's, it's not central Illinois either, but it's still South significant. And I'm just forgetting like how far away it is. I feel like it's like an hour plus by car before the tollway. Wow. That's yeah. massive. Yeah. It's like massive area. And I mean, they had like teams, there were different leagues within the the organizing. So it was called the Chicago Latin American soccer association. Yeah. My dad, that's where I learned how to do public speaking actually like watching my dad and he would just drag me around and, and he'd kind of like force me into stuff. He'd be like, Hey, you got to talk and, and do this. And so I learned a lot of good manners from him and how to engage with people, especially in large groups and large crowds. I have my dad to thank for that. Thank you, daddy. Oh my God. I need some tips there. I actually have an upcoming conference that I'm doing. Oh, conferences. That's my specialty. So I know, please tell me about that. Like, do you remember your first one and how have you gotten better at it? Give me some tips, please. (laughs) I started super simple inside of a company where I used to work and we did training and you'd have to like, you got volunteered and like for the next year you're in this group and now you have to train people on these skills that you supposedly have. Like I I did an engineer, I studied electrical engineering and you don't learn how to present in school. We had like one project at the end when you graduate where you had to present your, your senior project. And that was the, that was the only time outside of the humanities classes where you'd have to do presentations. And how social are engineers? Yeah. All the stereotypes that they have are earned. (laughs) And so even a lot of my friends would say as a kid, they'd be like, you're not like the other engineers. Like you don't mind talking. You like to talk. You, you can always talk whenever like someone can ask you something and you can talk forever. How do you do that? It's like, well, my dad, (laughs) it's like, I learned from my dad He's exactly the same way. Like I can call my dad. So check this out. I'll call my dad in Texas. I'll be in Dallas and I'm going to drive to Austin, which is like, you know, more than three hours and we'll have one conversation. And I'll be like, all right, dad, I'm in Austin now. I got to let you go because I got to get gas in the car. And it'll be like nothing for us to have just a three hour plus conversation. And we talk about that. Yeah, it's we're all over the place too, like philosophy, stuff at work, you know, things that he was working on. We even talk about uh, some of my favorite subjects, lean construction. My dad got to work for some companies that had some heavy uh, Japanese influence. And so he and he's even been to Japan. I haven't been to Japan yet. He got to go to Japan as part of his work to do some leadership training in Japan. So yeah, we have a lot in common. All right. So for conferences, what's the venue? I like, am speaking at the Westin 
in Chicago. There's going to be about 100 people there. All right, perfect. Is the stage elevated or are you going to be like at a lectern or at the front? I'm not sure. Maybe I should call and ask. Should I ask that? Does it make a difference? It does. It does make a difference. So Okay, I need to find that out. I'll tell you my process. So my process for anybody that has to do any kind of public speaking, if you can imagine the space you're going to be in before you're there, and even if you give yourself some options, you can say, you know, in your mind, maybe I'm on a stage that's just like one foot above the ground or three feet above the ground. hundred people, you might be just at the same level. I think they might be at chairs with tables or they might just be at chairs, right? So those are things I'd want to know. And the only reason I want to know that is because what can I get the audience to do, right? So Ooh, I'm thinking, I love that. Yeah. Right? I was I want, kind of hoping I could get them to like clap along and maybe like sing a song at the end or something crazy. Yeah. And you can always have like walk-up music, the first speaker or another speaker, and you've got like a slideshow or something you're going to show, or, or you even just can have music on your phone. Like you can have walk-up music just that goes with you, right? So I've got a Bluetooth speaker that's super powerful that I travel with just for that very occasion, Rena, because you never know when you're going to need your own walk-up music. And coming on with music just sets the tone. It is like, uh, you know, if you had something like this, you'd be like, right away, you'd know. The tone is very serious, and we're going to be talking about serious things, you know, versus if you had like something, you walk up with something like this. And now you're, you're coming up like you got the rhythm. Let's right. get crazy. The music does set the tone, and, and I always have music in my head, like when I'm walking up to just get my head in right. Some people... There was a, a speaking coach that I got to work with for a, a session one day when we went to this conference and I picked a session that had the speaking coach and he was giving like tips for what he does and some deep breathing is always good to like center yourself and think about happy thoughts. It never is like, what are you going to speak about? doesn't matter. You should have already prepared that before. So going over your notes of what you're going to say, not this what the speaker recommended. And he's a, he was a coach that just does this for a living and super polished very good speaker. The other thing, so imagine the venue, step one, just so you, you're thinking about it before you're there and then with options. So that way when you're there and it's not exactly like you imagine, you're already like, oh, this was just one other way I imagined. You're already, your mind is flexible to things not working right. You know, I always laugh when technology doesn't work. So like if my microphone doesn't work or the, if I have slides, if the power projector doesn't work, I'm always like, I can do this without slides. And I'll even tell the audience like to get them in, like, I'm going to just adapt no matter what happens. We're going to have a good time. Like, we're going to go, I'm going to laugh, I'm going to make jokes. I like to always make eye contact with people. And I heavily rely on connecting with people and body language for cues. Like, who can I look to in this group and connect with and get people's head? Like, you're nodding right now. So like, I'm paying attention, like this is resonating with you. So this is good. So you'll find people like that in the audience. So you can ask questions and then look for them to react you know with either body language or you can ask people to clap and people will clap for you right so when you're coming up typically if they're civilized they'll give you some applause and encouragement to start and i just absorb that energy and just push it back out to everybody so that everyone feels good now the other thing is you want to hit your timing i like to hit my timing i like to hit my timing because it's like a challenge for me i'm like oh if i got 60 minutes I want to be at 45 minutes and then start Q&A because I That's love- That's what I've got, 45 yeah. minutes and 15 minute Q&A. But 
60 minutes total. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about that, I like to do that. And then I even try to, I micro plan. So 45 minutes is three 15 minute sessions. So if you have three big points, you can go in with the audience on 15 minutes at a time and be switching to the next topic for another 15 and then switch to your final topic in the final 15. Cause you know, three things to share with a hundred people is plenty. You want people for it to be memorable. So if you try to give too much information, they can't absorb it all. So, you know, three things is very easy to remember. Most people can easily remember four things in their short-term memory. If you go three main points and every point has four sub points, you're golden or, you know, three points. And then every point, every point has three sub points. This still can tie it all together. It links very well. And then just be looking to hit those marks. And I've gotten really good at hitting those timing marks. Like even with my podcast recordings, I've got a natural feel for what an hour is like. And I'll occasionally glance at the time and just see where, where am I heading towards, you know, the right pace? What's the pacing for this show? How long is the intro? If my guests, if they're shy and they don't do a lot of like introduction, I'll prod them some more with the research I've done ahead of time to get them to share some more of their background. Cause that's how people connect. When you're listening to a show, you're deciding in the beginning, like the person's got an interesting voice or an interest, like the video is interesting. You know what they're saying? Is it interesting? You want to, you know, people's attention is a commodity that I prize. It's very, very valuable if you can hold people's attention. And it's always easy to connect with people when they can see commonalities with you and with them. Yeah. What if you see the audience is losing interest? How do you like grab them back in or like switch your story or switch what you're talking about to like shake it back up? That's where you looking at the audience and going with them. It's a reciprocal energy exchange. If you start off connecting, they'll stay connected with you. But you're right. Sometimes things don't don't land and don't hit. And when that happens, you know what always works, Rena, and this, or what typically works well is a story. If you start to lose your audience, you can always say, "All right, let me share a story to bring this to life, bring this concept to life." Using story narrative is like so natural for people. It's everybody has a story. Everyone has a beginning, a middle, some kind of adventures, and eventually we have an ending of some sort, right? And so stories are just very easy way to connect with people. If you've got a point, especially the more technical what you're sharing is, story will make it easy for people to connect and it reinforces the concept. And and stories always answer like a couple of W's and an H, you know, the who, what, why, where, when, and how. Like that's just journalism 101. And that's a, a great story. You might've started in your talk with the how, and I always find like where people start to tune out is if they can't connect to what you're sharing. So if they don't know why you're sharing it, you know, if you look at the Ted talk, the formulas for what those talks are, how engaging they are, and they're, they range from about 16 to 20 minutes is the typical Ted talk. And they follow this formula of, you know, sometimes they uh, grab your attention with something sensational And then they'll go into a story that explains like, why are they talking to you about this so that you can connect and want to go with them on the journey. And only after that, for the better, more popular talks, like, you know, think of like Brene Brown and her super famous TED talk. Then they go into how. The how is always like the last thing. But like as a speaker, like when we get told or asked to go share something, we always think that we should just start with the how because that's what they asked us to share. But how doesn't connect with anybody not to start with. I don't know that I should try to do this thing that you're telling me about unless I can see well, why is would it be good for me to do, right? So if I can't connect, then I'm just going to start to tune you out. I'm going to get on my phone. Oh, what's going on, on social media? I've got like 35 notifications on LinkedIn. Huh? 
<laughs> you know, but, but if you hold people with a good story, especially if the story is real, so get a couple stories in your pocket where you're ready to share on your topics and you might not need them. If you I've got the stories. Like, I feel like I've, you know, I've been on your show. I got plenty of yeah. stories, but it's giving the moral to the story and then having the transition to the next story. Yeah. Like I want it to kind yeah. of be like point story, moral transition, point story, moral transition. Like if I could do that, I think like six or eight times, I think that that would fill up the time. It's just that, weird not to have any interaction. I think eight is too much. Like for you six. Do? Okay. That's good to know. So yeah, yeah. You have extra. So you've got extra if you need to pivot. That's good. I mean, there's no such thing as too much, right? The worst that could happen is that they they tell you, like, don't get off the stage and keep going, right? That's Has that the, ever happened? Yeah, that's happened. That's happened. Wow. <laughs> that's happened where, where people, like, where the venue was closing and we had to, like, go outside because it was over and pe- people didn't want to leave. They wanted to keep going. So that's happened a few times. That's always a good sign. It's always a good sign. So I'd say, yeah, have a couple stories on the ready. And then you can get audience interaction. You can ask people to, you know, raise your hand. If you, and if you see people nodding their heads, sometimes you get one, a reaction where you're like, no, you want a no reaction or people will go back in their chair. If you're already seeing body language, you're, you have audience interaction, set your bar a little bit lower. You don't need people to stand up and give you a standing O to know that you've connected head nods, uh, body posture. Like if they're leaning forward or leaning back in their chairs, or if they're in their phone, those are all telling you something, you know, and you could always ask people to, you know, raise their hands. Hey, if this resonates with you, put your hands up. Or if this resonates with you, give a clap. You can ask for things like that. But remember, it's, it's like talking about reciprocation. You want to give first before asking. And as a rule of thumb, I try to default to giving first and then asking second. And I'm always telling people like in the beginning, I'm encouraging them to ask questions. And I'm good with my content that I can take questions like as we go, but sometimes the organizers want to follow a format and they want to do all the Q and a at the end. And I was like, you know, when I'm teaching and I'm, that's a separate deal. When I'm teaching, I'm like, we're all going to go together. So if you have a question, you need to stop me, ask your question. So we continue to journey together. I don't want you to get left behind. When I teach typically the breaks are every hour. So at every 60 minutes, there's going to get a chance for some longer Q and a for about 10 minutes when I'm teaching multi-hour session type things. Oh my gosh. What's your walk-up song for like a conference? Like what are your go-tos? They're always been in my mind. So it's never, I've never had one like out loud. I, I even, there was a conference earlier this year. I mean, it was like, it was a few months ago. It's advancing prefabrication construction conference where it's all about prefabricated building components and assemblies. And this is like super technical. And the person, in, I had a person actually emceeing the breakout areas and I was one of the speakers and they were introducing everybody. And this person is not animated like, like we are, Rena. You know, they were like, I think they'd had a stint in their career as a university lecturer. And so just imagine like the teacher from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So like that type of <laughs> monotone. And that was like, that was my walk-up so that when they, when I took it from them and I, and I took the mic, I had to like jolt the audience to life. And so I started with, I always have a couple of classics that I start with. So I was like, I tell people like, before I begin, let me assure all of you that I have a monopoly in play. And so now people are like, what is he talking about? Like with this bill, like what, what you can see everybody like starting to look at each other. And I pause for dramatic effect too. As they like look, and then they start, when I get people looking back to me, I say, I own the monopoly on all the stupid questions asked. I have all those. 
So everything that all of you ask is going to be fantastic. And I encourage you all to ask at any time. If I say something or give an acronym and I don't explain it, put your hand up and let's, let's get it over with. And there'll be plenty of time for Q&A at the end. So don't worry. we got plenty of time. I love that. That's so good. I was actually thinking that like, since I'm right after lunch, I felt like maybe I should measure their like food coma-ness. Like, yeah. should I say, I know you guys just had lunch. Are we on a scale of one to 10 in food coma? Or are you pretty pumped up from the last speaker? Like, I need to know how I can match your energy right now. Should no, I work you guys up or? You set the energy. I so set you, the energy? Okay. You set, you just, you just take it. You set the energy. It doesn't matter if they're in a food coma. You can bring them out of the food coma with your energy. Your energy is infectious. And like, okay. I'm, I guarantee you, right? If I was at a, if I was in the audience, Rena, there's no way, even if I had a deep dish, seven pound Chicago pizza, if you're the speaker, I'm going to come to life. Oh, that's sweet I just of know you. How you are. No, I know how you are. Like, it's going to be a great time. Like, Thank it's impossible. You. I found this video clip and then too, I was like, should I go with a video clip? Because like you were saying, like a lot of times there's technical difficulties and like, that's the quickest way to lose the audience's attention as if like, they can't get your clip to play. Yeah. I have this amazing clip from when I went to Tony Robbins Leadership Academy and I didn't think that I could put my hand through the wooden board at the crescendo of the end of this five-day event. <laughs> and they've got the rave music pumping and yeah. these people like clapping their broken boards together. And I'm up next. I see this woman in front of me. She's like skinny and kind of hunched over and she puts her hand through the board. The guy behind me is like, my seven-year-old can do it. I'm like, oh, I'm doing this. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's it. I'm giving it one good go. Like these people are totally punking me out here. Yeah. And so I have a clip of me like listening to the trainer, the guy holding the board, yeah. me screaming and then putting my hand through it. And I didn't even realize I broke the board until they held up the pieces. And then I let out this like guttural scream. And yeah. The whole thing is captured. It's so good. But I was like, do I start with that? Like, I feel like that's a good emotional attachment yeah. to the crowd right there. Yeah, it's going to get people, especially it's got already music jumping and pumping and, and you can see your energy. That is a great starter. And then too, you can say like, you know, have you ever felt nervous and unsure and doubtful of yourself, but you followed the formula? Like you knew it was tried and true. And if you just listened to what people were telling you to do and you followed verbatim, then you can do it too. And that is what I want to do today. I want to give you some of the ingredients that I have learned that are tried and true that will work for you too. That sounds perfect. That's a perfect approach. Yeah, thanks. I've been yeah. thinking about this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect approach. I would do that. Definitely do the video. And if the video doesn't work, you can always tell the people like through the conference organizers, we'll get the video to you. And then you can describe the video. So you yeah. set the page. So if your video, it sounds like what you described and just you describing it to me without the video, do that exact thing if the video doesn't play. And that's perfect. And I only think that only took like three minutes. That's a good reaction. Because that's going to get people's attention to like, wow, look at how brave she is. All that courage to share that. And it's real. And so it's a little bit vulnerable and it connects with people right away. And that's, that's honestly how we connect. And a little yeah. bit of vulnerability will get people on your side rooting for you. And then they'll go with you. They'll go with you on this hour long journey of some tips so they can follow a formula that's going to work. Everyone's always looking for like, what does work? Because not all people have time to experiment and fail. And some people are, have been 
heavily discouraged from trying things that don't work. That's why we don't see, you know, just oodles of innovation just streaming out of everywhere, right? It doesn't happen because we're, to some degree, we're a little bit conditioned to play it safe. For the people that trailblaze and then share, you know, here's a way that you can get to this outcome. People really appreciate that. And that's value delivery for sure. Have you ever been intimidated by some of the speakers that are speaking either before you or after you or <laughs> alongside you? Now, I always realize that they're human like me. And just like me, they were born with amnesia. They don't know what they don't know. And, you know, their mom and dad or whoever raised them had to do something to get them to this point. I've met now I've met people and I've been starstruck. Like when I met my mentor, my hero, Jeff Sutherland, I was just like, you know, like I couldn't believe <laughs> that I was meeting him and somebody I was waiting to, to shake his hand. The person next to me is like, oh, I'm friends with his son. And like, I've been to their house and had dinner and like, yeah, he's super chill. They're like, just go up. And I was just like, yeah, what am I making such a big, so then I went up, I was still like, you know, very honored and I felt a lot of stuff and I'm sure that, you know, people like that get, you know, that type of reaction and more all the time. I didn't even get his autograph the first, <laughs> the first Tell day. me about this guy. I don't know who he is. So for me, I'm like, who's this guy? Yeah. So the, the guy is uh, Dr. Jeff Sutherland. He invented the scrum framework, which, you know, following any of my social media, I talk about scrum constantly. I even wrote a book about it, Rena, you know, construction scrum. And uh, Jeff wrote the forward to my book. So there's his, there's his name right there. Dr. Jeff Sutherland. That and, is major bragging yeah. rights. Yeah, major. And so it was on the second day, on the second day of this training, I had the courage now and I felt like, okay, we have a relationship now. Then I asked him for an autograph in which I have, like there's a red book over my shoulder and in that red book is his autograph. And he's like encouraging me to keep using the method. And I have, I'm like, I use the method even to write my book, which is great. I use that, that method to run my podcast, the EBFC show. And it's been great. So I love even, that you have your cup queued up. Yes. Yeah. I always have my cup. Well, I, I got to stay hydrated. Tell me about the method. It's pretty simple. It's got very, very few moving parts. It's based on, and this is a thing that almost nobody knows. It's based on cellular biology. Ooh. I know. So Jeff is like a scientist, like straight up. And he studied for his doctor, how cancer works. And so to understand how cancer works, he had to understand how healthy cells work too. And so he looked at and recognized these patterns in cells. And it doesn't matter if it's animal cells or plant cells, it's kind of a universal thing. And so there's, there's a way inside of the cell, if you think of a, a cell as a closed system, there's things, there's inputs, there's stuff that happens inside, there's outputs, you know, like a cell needs food, it, it like eliminates waste, it communicates through, you know, some known ways with adjacent cells and inside, it's like a whole world of things organized and everything has like a part to play. And so it looks from our perspective as self-organizing and like it has a function, it has a purpose. So like a, like a heart cell has a purpose that's different from a neuron in the brain, a brain cell, but then there's some universal things, even though they have different purposes, they still behave in a very similar way. So he created this management framework. He's like, if it works for cells and we're made up of cells, probably will work with people too. And so he started testing some things based on, on stuff that's been tried and true, and then formed it into a system of not too many moving parts and pieces so that you can, you can act exactly like you're living. You can act like the way you live. It's very intuitive and natural way to organize. And that's the scrum framework. By definition, it allows you to achieve what you want, even inside of complex environments. Like if, if like it's a simple thing, Rena, like I don't need scrum to tie my shoes. 
I don't need Scrum to get dressed in the morning. But if I'm going to work with other human beings to try to achieve something big, like build a building or make software or do like a university project or even write a speech, it's got a little more parts and pieces might be complex, especially if I'm doing it to a new audience. The Scrum framework is something that's going to be very easy for me to fold in all the things I need to do very predictably, give me exactly the type of outcome I want, or in most cases, surprises me and gives me even better outcome because I'm getting feedback all along the way. And so that that's like it in a nutshell. But it's it's like the first thing you got to have is like, just like in a cell, a living cell, a purpose. What does the cell exist to do? So like when you when you start to use Scrum, the first question is, why am I doing it? It's why you start with why, like Simon Sinek has made, you know, a whole living on starting with the why. And that's where you start with Scrum, like, why would I do this? And so what's the purpose? And then from there, that first why is a great filter to tell you what should go into this work I'm going to do and what's outside of this work. Because a lot of times we think we are going down a path and we just start doing things. A lot of people just jump right into the work. And when you just jump into the work, you might be doing things that don't get you closer to your goal. You might actually be moving further away from your goal and you don't know it yet because you're missing feedback loops. So there's going to be some stages along the way where you're getting feedback in this framework. So now I have a purpose. I'm going to focus on what I want to do, what the work is to make it reasonable. I can brainstorm and make a list of all the things that I think should go into this project or this thing I'm going to deliver at some point. And that's, we call that a backlog. It's a wish list of what I need to do. Now, from there, I can't do everything at once. So now I need to prioritize and I take some things above into a smaller list that we call the sprint backlog. And then from there, now I have a small list. I'm going to say, you know, over the next five days, if I'm going to plan in one week cycles, which are super typical and normal, over the next five days, I think I'm going to take maybe 10 things. So that's roughly two things a day for my wish list. My wish list could be as big as I want it to be, but I'm going to, I'm going to do these 10 things. And at at the end of five days, as I'm working through this, I'm going to check in with myself and my team and see like, how are we doing on these things? And we're going to define these things too. Like there's some work that you have to do to define like what those 10 tasks are. And I'm just using 10 as easy numbers because I have 10 fingers on the screen for people watching the video from there. You get feedback daily with the team. Like, how are we doing? Like on day one, if we think we should get two things done and nothing gets done, now we know we have a problem. And in Scrum, problems are great to have because it helps us focus even better on our energy. What do we need to do so that we can eliminate what's blocking us from achieving? Or do we need to change? Maybe the purpose needs some refinement. So there's things that you do and start talking with other human beings and you solve problems together. It's so that we can do the work. The work it's easier to do. We focus on one thing at a time. You and I can be on a team. You can work on some stuff that you're really good at. I can work on things that I'm good at. And occasionally we work together to finish things. And research shows that when you and I partner together, we finish even faster. And so that's very typical. And it scales up too. You've been in the construction industry for like 20 years, right? Yeah, over 20 years. Yeah. When did you start implementing this? Just about uh, almost a decade ago when I did it. And there's part three of my book. It's in part three of my book. I tell the story in a chapter like the before, there's a before and after I even measured it. So I tell people like before I discovered Scrum, I was working seven days a week, crushing, bone crushing times. Right. And I wasn't keeping up and it wasn't because I didn't have the skills. I mean, I was trained engineer. By that point, I already worked over a decade in construction. So I was doing, you know, just more work to try to keep up. 
there was a lot of concepts and I didn't have like a framework of how to get things done. We kind of just like dealt with the biggest, nastiest problem at the time, you know, what's ever in your face. And there's a lot of people that work that way every single day. Like they just firefight. We call it firefighting because you just, something sparks up and it catches fire and you, you deal with it. It's metaphorical. It's not a real fire, but it, it, it feels. In construction, exactly. there could be though, right? No. And there has been. Yeah. I've been on jobs where things have caught fire for sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no. and, and you have to deal with that. And then after the framework, using those like super simple, like prioritization, I can't tell you how many people go to work every day, Rena, and never prioritize. And I mean, it's like, it sounds so, and everyone listening is probably like, duh. And now, okay, everyone who said duh, when, we, when I was mentioning prioritization, think back of last Friday. When did you and your team have a dialogue about the most important thing to do for Friday? I bet you nine out of 10 teams didn't do that or probably 10 out of 10 in some industries. And so we kind of need some guiding principles. And I tell people in construction all the time, like this framework is like scaffolding. Everybody has seen scaffolding, like you put it up around a building so that you can get access to the work and then you can modify it as the building elements change and you take it down when the building's over, you get rid of it. So that's what Scrum is too. It's like scaffolding. You put, you build it up. In the beginning, you have a lot of framework to guide you. And as you go, you can remove some of the scaffolding or customize it to suit your need. And at the end, when the project's over, disband and celebrate people because you're done. You're done. Feel good. Right. And you put it away and then you just enjoy the fruits of your labor. Wow. You know, versus firefighting the whole way because you might get burned. If you've got a firefight every day, you're probably going to get burned at some point. Right. But if you use this other framework, this alternative, you can work less. So check this out. You can actually work half as much and get twice as much done. That is like uh, the punchline in Jeff's book. So Jeff wrote the original book that explained why Scrum works and gave a lot of the history of what it is. It's called Scrum, the other doing twice the work in half the time. Example after example after example, teams more than double their productivity. And Jeff said in the early days when he was training me, he said he even gave us all a uh, like a guarantee, you know, like so many things you go, Rena. there's always like this guarantee, like a money back guarantee. So Jeff's early days, money back guarantee was if you don't double your productivity with your team, I'll give you your money back. <laughs> and he, he, as far as I know, he never had to give anybody their money back because even if you do the, the system poorly, even if you implement it half-heartedly, it'll still improve your productivity so much, you'll be twice as effective. I feel like that's good for a speech too. Yeah, it's very good for a speech. Right? Like people like those kind of hooks. Yeah. And Jeff's got a TED talk too. That's amazing. Oh, I got to check that out. Yeah. I'll have to put it in the yeah. comments. I'll send you the link so you can share it and, yeah. and watch his TED talk. It's very powerful. I tell people like, you know, the default from birth is that you're a highly adaptive creature. And then through conditioning, you become like degrees of less adaptability, but you actually remain highly adaptable. And even the neuroscience on the brain shows the same thing. They call it uh, neuroplasticity, which means like your brain is always changing. It can always be changing. Even things that are habits, habits can be broken. New habits can be picked up. And I mean, we're constantly adapting. People just don't even realize it, how much change you can adapt to. Right. Yeah. And that goes along with your love of continuous improvement, right? It absolutely does. Yeah. I'm a tinkerer. Arena. I like to tinker. You know, that's why I picked engineering when I was young, because it was definitely going to be the way that I can continue to tinker. Since I was a small child, I used to annoy my parents by taking things apart. <laughs> like, don't, don't leave a screwdriver out by me because I will take this thing apart. 
<laughs> and and not always put it back together the way that it was intended. Some things don't come back together the same way. I remember my my grandmother was even telling my dad that she still remembers one day she came home and I had taken, we had this big stereo system that was like, you know, one of those big, like you open the cabinet door type of wooden surround. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I had taken the speakers out of the system. Like she was just like, I didn't even know that the speakers could come out. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know either until I took them out, but I was able to put it, that I actually put back together and it's, and it worked. Yeah. And that was, I was probably nine or 10, you know, the time that I did that, I just wanted to know how it worked. So you feel better about your, your speech. And then the, for the Q and a too, you can always, at the end, you can pepper, they're going to have questions, especially if you leave some hooks. So you can think like you can explain something and then you can pull back a little bit till you don't go all the way. And that way, when you get some Q and a, you can give more examples in the answers because people always ask you questions or questions tend to be in a couple of different categories. You know, one category is like, and Jeff, Jeff has even said this in his trainings. He's like, sometimes he can just, you know, talk to somebody for 45 minutes and they can just go off and exactly do it. They can go implement scrum. And he's like, other people have like so many questions. And so like, it's a spectrum arena of what people's questions are, but a lot of them have in common, like seeing where they are right now, what do they have to change to start this? Give people some ways to, to connect in their way. Asking questions is definitely a good way to connect. Yeah. That's feedback. So like when I teach, I, I record the questions people ask and I go back through and I look at them like, okay, people are missing this. Okay. There's a gap here. Oh, this, this type of person, like project managers typically need this. And so then I, I go back into the content and I'll change how I deliver. I'll change how I deliver the content so that I can try to get get them what they need. And then some questions I just leave because they're just juicy, good questions. It really is a refinement process, right? Like you got to know how much to keep in and how much to take out and the timing matters. It's, it's really an art. It's yep. This is definitely pushing me out of my comfort zone. I will just say that. That's good. You're breaking the board. You're going all the way through. I am. Oh my gosh. Well, is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Yeah, there's definitely. I remember listening to some of your early shows, Rena. Your dad wasn't fully bought in on is this better call daddy podcast going to be a thing? You know, like I, I got the sense of that through listening to some of the shows. And now my question for your daddy is how has this better call daddy podcast enhanced or changed his relationship with the extended family? Ooh, that's a juicy one. Yeah. My parents, when I first was doing it, I told my family after probably not even after the first show, after a couple of shows, and I was committed, like I was going to do this, whether I had one listener, me <laughs> or, or others. And now I'm happy to say like, we're, you know, multinational, this all it's grows, it's growing. But I found that mentioning, you know, experiences, like, especially when people ask, like talking about family or, or letting people get to know me better. For me, it's been good to have extended family, especially that I don't get to talk to every day. Sometimes they'll catch a show and then they'll message me on social media or they'll send me an email or occasionally we'll talk. I feel better connected to the family. And I think like they feel better connected to me because they can hear me, you know, talking on these shows and engaging with people. And, and it's, it's kind of brought me closer to them. And so I, I consider it as a nice positive side effect that I'd never anticipated going into it. And so I'd, I'd love, love to hear yeah, what your dad, especially because the the format of your show where he just gets to come in at the end, like all gangster style and just, you know, give his take. And I heard the one 
that he did recently with Tracy Hazard. Tracy's had me on her show as well. It was just very cool to hear his take on that. And I, I can't wait to hear what he says about Tracy uh, Hazard, the kind of girl you bring home, right? Like exactly. that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have like just a couple more questions. What are your thoughts on having a degree versus not in the construction industry? Like I do know that you can be successful and get positions and rise the ranks without a degree. A lot of construction companies, even well-established ones, when you look into their history, most of them start off as family-owned companies. Exactly. And, uh, and a lot of the early foundations, people did not have college degrees. Like even construction management, which is the most predominant degree that people in construction have today, if you're on the management side, that degree is not, it's not even 30 years old. It's relatively new. And uh, project management it was like codified and invented like in the 1970s, even though people can argue that it's been around for a long, long time. But the way we know it today, you know, post the industrial you know, revolution, it really got its roots in the, in the 50s, as we know it today through the 70s. And so you can absolutely start your own company. So if you have a high school diploma or don't even have a high school diploma, you can start your own construction company like right now. How would you do that? And like, I'm also, just all the I way have family screen. members that are entering like one without a college degree and one with like, yeah. once you pay your dues yeah. and rise the ranks, like what's stopping you from, yeah, starting your own. And you could start and anybody listening, no matter if you got a degree or didn't sometimes Rena in the more corporate and more established companies, you have to have, there's some like checks that you have to have in order to move up typically. And so a college degree for a lot of entry level and in, in the larger construction companies, it's a first go, no go. So like, if you're going to become, if you're going to go work for a company that's doing like, you know, say 500 million a year or more, those companies typically want college degree people typically. Now there's always exceptions. So, so people listen, there's always exceptions to the rule, but the typical rule of thumb is uh, some type of degree in either engineering or construction management. And they're also, I found quite a few people that have non like engineering construction management degrees. I've met quite a few business degree people that work in construction. I've met a couple of psychologists that work in construction that they went to school for psychology. They don't actively use it on you. I mean, you don't know that they're using it on you, <laughs> but and, and working in different roles and as well as like finance people can work. I mean, and in construction, I mean, there's accounting people, information technology people, finance people, science people. There's so many aspects of what you would think of, like just open up a, a college catalog and those degrees that are there, you'll find those people in construction companies of all shapes and sizes. And so there are, there's those paths. And then there's like non-degree people that go, you know, directly to work in the trades and you can rise up in the ranks. And even some of the larger companies, Rena, a person that grew up like with tools and built stuff with their own hands, they can, you know, become management as well. And for a lot of people, like they can get to the levels of vice president in some companies. Now they'll have some different titles like general superintendent or senior superintendent, and they're equivalent to executives at a certain level in some of these companies. So like there's, there's multiple paths. So if you like, you know, if you like being in the office and you kind of like planning and managing budgets and that type of stuff, you might go more towards like more towards the project management career track. And there it might benefit you to get a degree or an advanced degree. I myself have an advanced degree in management business administration, my MBA. And I earned that while working full-time. And of course I used Scrum while I was earning that degree for my coursework, because why not? 
it made it totally doable. And then there's other people that get other advanced degrees. Like some people, they might, like if you're working at a, say a steel fabricator company, it might make sense for somebody to become a professional engineer and get the, the credential in structural engineering because they've got to put their stamp on and that's a legal thing. There's legal ramifications for having that stamp and being responsible for, for designs if they're doing design type work. And so there's many different options. So, and I also tell the people, Rena, that are pursuing this, like, you don't need to have the answer today, like work at it, try it for six months or a year, and then see after that time, like, do you see yourself liking this and doing it more? So like a good way, I always tell people a good way to know if it's for you is if you lose track of time when you're doing it. If you start counting down the hours to like, when I'm going to clock out of this bad boy, that's probably a sign that this might not be for you. And you could try the other way. And even if you're in one role, like if you're going down like the college path, talk to people that are already there and have been there for five years or more. Get them to tell you about what they like about the job and what they don't like and see how that resonates. And, and also you can shadow people. People are very open to sharing, especially, you know, talking about work. What's our favorite subject, Rena? Me. It's always me. Like people in the professional working environment, no different. So I would encourage people to shadow, try it for a little while, and you can always change your mind and, and do, go a different path if you want to. Interesting. Okay. Well, it is time to brag away about your books, your podcast, all of the ways in which people can find your amazingness. Yeah. People, you can find and connect with me at thefelipe.bio.link, thefelipe.bio.link. That's got connections to everything. All of my social media is there. LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, email, even emails there. And you can find a link to my show, the EBSE show, the easier, better for construction podcast show, where I bring on excellent people like Rena, who talked about networking, making amazing changes. We bring anybody and anyone who has an ability to impact how projects are delivered easier, better, and faster. Those are the guests that come on to the show. There's also a blog that goes along with that show where I write about questions that people ask me or things that I find interesting related to design and construction and all things making work easier because people, you only have so much time. Don't waste it. Do what you want with it. Get back control. I've also got some teaching courses on that same thefelipe.bio.link where you can learn Scrum from me at any time and find free resources from my book. Links to the book website are there. ConstructionScrum.com is also the URL that you can use to get to the book. And about the first third of the book I give away for free, as well as an audio read chapter on the most popular chapter, the Scrum Guide itself with my commentary is available on the book's website. And you can listen anytime as a podcast or on YouTube. So check that out, people. All there at thefelipe.bio.link. Yeah, Rena, I love it. I love the book. The book is fun too. And the book is written, a lot of people don't know this, but the first part of the book, Rena, it's written like a collection of soap opera episodes. There's some some reality. The soap you, opera of Scrum. That's right. It's all soap opera style, like teams having problems and breakdowns and then engaging to learn this framework and transform how the projects are delivered. The middle part of the book, it's a little more technical. And then the, the later part of the book is more examples and some metrics. And of course, there's so many free resources on the book website. Every single example from here, the book has QR codes in it as well for videos and blog posts that reinforce some of the concepts in the book. 
that's all available for free on constructionscrum.com. And if you've got Kindle Unlimited, people, you can download the book to your Kindle for free forever. So check that out. We want to make it as easy as possible for people to get connected and check that out. And check this out, Rena. My mom read the book and she said, it's actually not bad. I love it. Well, I have two brother-in-laws in construction, so I think it will make a good gift. Yeah, it's a great gift. Yeah. Yes. Can I get two autographed ones? Absolutely. Okay, cool. This I can't wait been... to hear what daddy says. I can't wait to hear what daddy says. Hey, you got the line. You are so good, Felipe. You were an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for this. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Yeah, so Felipe right? had a lot of wisdom there. I really liked this episode. Such good tips. Oh, there's a lot in this. And a lot of it is related to the music. Felipe is also a musical name. And he really sets the tone where he gives you some great advice that when you want to make a presentation and look at all the TV shows, look at all the movies, look at all the ball games where they start off with a shebang, with a song or a music or a band, even the halftime shows of, of major football games where there's almost as, as much excitement in the five shows as there is in the game. It's a tremendous motivator if you have your own song, your own dance, your own following of people also is another tremendous play on words where it sets the stage for everyone to get involved, singing along, marching along, Getting people involved for thousands of years has been done with music and setting the tone, setting the example. So I just love that part of it. I love too how he really thought about breaking down a speech like an engineer. He's like, well, I like to hit my thing. timing. I like to have a micro plan. I like to have three right. points, and maybe four sub points. For sure. And he likes to break it down step by step where you learn how to do everything. As you know, Uncle Isaac did the same thing is that if you went on a boat ride with him, you went to go fishing, you learned how to run the boat, you learned how to cook the fish and clean the fish. Everything that you can think of to do when you went out with him, he broke everything down step in step and he'd show you so that the next time you go out, you're leading the vacation. You're the one preparing the lesson rather than him. That's the way it's done. And he also then was able to relate, especially in the construction business, or I would say in the farming business and many other businesses, as you know, what my dad would say is that you have to learn every phase of the business, every step of the business. And if you want anybody to respect you, you don't order them around, you work with them. You show that you're knowledgeable and willing to learn from them as they are from you. So the funny part is, is that running a construction business, you gotta be able to work hands-on and get your, your hands dirty and and you can get a little smelly too, if you're, if you know what I mean. But the fact is, is that in order to elevate it to something even more enterprising in the future, you have to develop your advertising and your communication channels and your learning. And a lot of people work hands-on in a business and get more out of that and develop it further by learning how to learn better in school or taking courses or getting further instruction. And there's nothing like having a mentor. And hopefully you have a good mentor in your father, but not everyone gets that opportunity. So we have to be able to find good mentorship out there in the community where we have programs where people that really have a desire 
and an enthusiasm to learn that there's a way that they can be addressed and get the help to also do better. And society does better the more that we stay on track and break everything down step by step and show that there is a bright future and there is a way and a path, not always the same path for everybody, but there's a path to success if we do the right things and we work hard and we're enthusiastic and we're positive. Another thing that I thought was cool is that someone who he really looked up to wrote the foreword of his book. He said that that guy was his hero. And isn't it something how someone who could be super grandmaster also enjoys teaching others and participating in their victories. And that makes them higher up on the scale too, to make a presence with someone where they are able to achieve something great. Believe it or not, the person that helps guide them or ments them gets just as many points out of it. I told you, one of my greatest wins playing chess was seeing Stephanie win for the first time in Kentucky the high school individual championship. He tied for first. They gave the boy the first place trophy, even though they were tied for first. But the fact is nobody had ever done that before. And she came back from a piece down in the last round and won that championship. I was so elated and so excited, maybe even more than Stephanie. That's what it's all about, is getting the pleasure and the of the accomplishment of others, especially if it's a, one of the people in your own family. Felipe wants to know what the skepticism, as well as the progress that we are looking for on the Better Call Daddy show. And really, the show from the beginning is what it is now. It's really talking about the legacy of families that get involved. It's overcoming adversity. And we do it also to see if we can get people together to share ideas, share stories, where hopefully we gain some wisdom out of it, the people gain wisdom out of it, our listeners gain some wisdom out of it, and where it's a channel of communication where we can be real and be able to discuss issues frankly or candidly and see if we can all get something out of it and learn from each other. And in the beginning, just like starting anything, you have to feel your way. Some things work, some things don't work. Some people it makes sense for, some people it really doesn't make sense for. Some people have really great, great stories, and some people, the stories, they're used as selling points for their business, okay, or their point of view, where they don't really share enough information to really get that real personal look. But to each is his own. Everyone has an opportunity to say it their way. And we try very hard to add our two cents to the wisdom equation. And as time has gone on, I think the show has made many improvements. And just like in any other business, the more you practice, the more you do it, it becomes more and more perfected in so many ways. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 